So you know that, uh, you know that kids game that uh, sometimes, we, I still like it actually, but where you hide something in a room and then you lead people to that thing by saying, oh, you're getting warmer, you're getting colder. You know that game. I uh, 100% feel that way about this series. 100%. Like every time we talk more about the Spirit, there's this little voice in my head that says, people are getting sick of it, you know, move on to something else. You know, you should talk about, you know, how to handle money or, you know, living your best life or whatever. Um, and then every time I think about that, something happens that reminds me like we're getting warmer, like we're getting closer. We're actually not, we're, we're not there yet. But the, this church at this time, these disciples, we need to talk about the Spirit. And maybe we really need to live fully in the Spirit. Uh, but we need, this is what we need to be talking about. If we were talking about anything else, we would be missing the point. So, you know, if you want to hear something about, like, living your best life, there's plenty of podcasts. But for what we need to do right now, this is what we need to be uh, talking about. So just, you know, to be clear, I've not had anybody say anything, but just keep going. This is great. I love it. I want to know more. Uh, but I just feel like we need to reaffirm that every once in a while. Like, this is what I think God wants us to be doing. Um, and so we're going to be turning a corner today in this conversation. As you know, we started um, a few weeks ago, many weeks ago, uh, and we started in the Old Testament. We've been kind of working our way through a little bit of uh, the chronology of the Spirit because the Spirit wasn't this new thing that just sort of showed up in the New Testament. There was this rich kind of complex um, thoughtfulness about what the Spirit was and what the Spirit was doing all through Scriptures, all through Hebrew Scriptures. But we're turning a corner today, and I want you to know that this is going to be a sermon that is deeply um, unsatisfying, dissatisfying, whichever is the right way to say that, because it's going to be one of those where just when you think, oh, okay, he's going to tell us what we need to hear, I'm going to say, to be continued, come next week. Um, we're not going to resolve the questions we raise today, and that is going to drive some of you nuts, but that's the way it's going to be. There's just too much to cover, first of all, but secondly, there's a little bit of tension that is going to be good for us uh, to talk about today. So we're entering a new um, era of what the Spirit is and is doing. Um, we just can't fit everything in one sermon. I tried, and then I realized, uh, not going to happen. Um, so many of you know uh, my younger brother, Michael. Many of you have met him. Some of you don't. I have a picture just in case you need a reminder of what he looks like. A couple good-looking guys there. Uh, if you like those, um, how many of you like those, like, find the, the, the weird thing in the picture? Well, there's a weird thing in this picture. Let's see if you can see it. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Anyway, um, this, is me, this is me and my brother Michael at his graduation from Harding a few years ago. Michael's about 28 now, but, you know, we, we've had Michael in our lives um, since he was, I don't know, 15 months, something like that. Now, this may not be something you know, that, but Michael has this kind of an interesting rare birth defect based on some medication that his mom was prescribed when she was pregnant. Uh, it only happened to just a handful of kids in Taiwan, and he happened to be one of them, which is why we were able to end up adopting him. It's been a blessing for us, so kind of all worked out. But one of the things about Michael that you may or may not know is that uh, a lot of people, especially when they're born with, with uh, disabilities like this from birth, that you wouldn't know that they have disabilities based on how they kind of engage with the world. 
Um, you know, if people lose a limb or go blind later in life, it kind of has more of an impact on them. But if they're just that way from birth, it just, it's just Michael. He just does what he does. You know, we would sometimes, you know, come into the living room and find him like on top of a bookshelf or whatever. And like, how'd you even do that? Because he, uh, he only, he wears two prosthetic legs uh, and he did wear a prosthetic arm, but he hated it. So he doesn't wear it. And so he's got some of these like develop, uh, not developmental disabilities, but like physical limitations. It just never seemed to bother him. But there are a couple times where you're doing things and it's just not easy to do or not able to do very well. So for example, and this pertains to the story I want to tell you, uh, when we would go to like a water park, um, I would actually like backpack Michael around up to the tops of the slides and, you know, go down, stuff like that. Because, you know, he's walking around on knees. You can't wear the prosthetics in the water. And so, although there's probably something you could do about that, 3M should get onto that. And then he, so I'd carry him on my back up to the top of the water slide and help him out of the water, all that. So, you know, he's 10, 11, 12, 14, I don't know, something like that. And we're at this particular water park, and I'm backpacking him around, you know. And you, you get stares. You're in swimsuits and stuff like that. Just, it's, a strange, it's a strange look, because if you don't know right at first, you're just like, why is that one guy carrying that other guy? And then you're like, oh, I see. I see what's going on. So Michael and I were at this particular water park. I had pulled him out of the water. I had him on my back. And this guy, nobody we knew, came up to us, and he said, he said this, Michael and I were kind of comparing notes earlier this week. He said, uh, you guys seem to uh, know each other well. <laughs> yes, we do. I'm not in the habit of picking up strangers and carrying them around water parks. We do happen to, we came here together, we'll probably also leave together. And I was like, no, this, this is my brother. And he said, so this guy, again, nobody we had know, uh, known, met anything. Um, he said, hey, uh, I was at a revival last night. Now, he assumed we had some insider knowledge about these things, and we did, but he didn't know that. Uh, and he said, at this revival, they prayed for me to be healed. And I'm, well, that's cool. Good for you, man. That's awesome. And he said, uh, yeah, I went to bed last night. When I woke up, both, this is what he said, both my legs were the same length. And I don't remember how he, he phrased it, but it was, did you not know they were the uneven before you went to bed? But if you've ever kind of dug into some of like the, the, the healing miracles, that's a really popular one, like legs being different length. I don't know if that's a common medical problem, but whatever it is, it's a, it's an, it's a thing that gets healed a lot at, at like these revivals. Um, and so he said, I'd like to, uh, you know, I'd like to invite you to come because maybe Michael can be healed as well. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, however, and this is something people don't often think about. Now, Michael, given his condition, has, uh, he's kind of a lightning rod for these sorts of interactions. But I, did st I had put Michael down by this point because this guy's talking to us. And I said, well, you know, again, we're dripping wet, swimsuits, having this theological conversation. I said, that's awesome. That's amazing. I said, we believe God could heal Michael. But we also believe that God might have a purpose for Michael and creating Michael just the way that he is. That might be a thing. What you assume is a disability might be something that is actually part of God's plan and God's purpose. And I didn't mean to like, you know, really get all deep and theological on him, but I just wanted him to understand that maybe not everybody wants to be healed. Maybe some people like having one leg shorter than another. I don't know. But whatever it was, maybe God has a purpose. And, you know, Michael and I have talked a lot about that sort of thing. Um, and this guy was undeterred by that. And that's fine. No big deal. Maybe God does want to heal Michael and help him grow his legs out. And so he said, and this is where Michael and I weren't, we compared notes a little bit, and I remember the story differently, and I'll just assume that my version is correct, because I remember the guy offering to pray for Michael's limbs to regrow right there at the water park. 
And, and he said, can I do that? And I'm, well, why not, right? Why not? What, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, best case scenario is Michael walks out of here or he can finish the rides, you know, climbing himself. That's great. I don't have to carry him around anymore. Now, I have grown up, and this is important for you to know, I have grown up in a spiritual environment that did not encourage those sorts of interactions with the Spirit. It wasn't like I grew, I grew up in a Church of Christ, and Church of Christ typically aren't churches where there's a lot of that sort of stuff happening. But I said, why not? Sure, why not? You can pray. And so this guy started to pray for Michael, and I'm like sitting there thinking, I'm sure nothing's going to happen. But I'll tell you what, I was kind of peeking through my fingers. Like, I mean, who knows what's going to happen, right? I want to see it happen. If it's going to happen, I don't want to open my eyes and bam, there's legs. I want to like see, you know, the special effects of how that happens. So, I mean, I may not have a lot of faith, but I have a little faith, right? Just have to have faith the size of a mustard seed. That's all. And so I'm kind of peeking and nothing happened, nothing happened. The guy gets done with his prayer and he seems a little bit disappointed because he prayed a prayer in faith and nothing happened. Michael and I went on about our day, me backpacking him around like a human, you know, carry-all, and nothing happened. And it doesn't, and I've often wondered about that guy. Like, like it didn't affect my faith, but I've wondered about him. Did it affect his faith that he prayed and that what he expected to happen didn't happen? And I think this is a really good example. There's a couple more stories with Michael, and I'll share it in a week or two. Uh, But I think this is a really good example of, within Christianity, this convergence of two different ideas that don't mesh very well within Christendom. People who have different ideas about what God might or might not be up to that kind of come together in the, and this is a good example of where that happens. And people just don't know what to do um, with all that. It's a good illustration of that. Because it's important for us to note there are wonderful, Bible-believing, thoughtful, Scripture-oriented disciples who read the Bible, who read the stories in the book of Acts, and they say, you know what? That is for us, for today, for here, for now. That is what we want to be doing right now. And there are thoughtful, Bible-believing disciples who read the book of Acts and think, you know what, I don't know that that's what we should be doing now. I don't know we should be pursuing the Spirit that way. And these tend to form their own churches and find their own groups because it just doesn't really mesh well. It's hard to pray for somebody's healing when the person being prayed for doesn't believe it. Or it's, it's hard as a person who wants that sort of healing or who wants to speak in tongues or who wants prophecy or whatever the miraculous gift is to work in an environment where other people don't feel like that's real. Because there are some of you, you're like, okay, we're talking about speaking in tongues here. Honey, can you uh, hold your purse tight? Maybe get the remote start on the car because if somebody in this service speaks in tongues, we are out. Because it is a strange topic. It's controversial. It's a strange thing to talk about. It's confusing. It's uncomfortable. In fact, there are a lot of people who maybe you feel like, well, I've never been around a church like that. I mean, I've seen some weird YouTube videos somebody forwarded me, but it was, it, it was some guy and he was putting his palms on people's foreheads and they were falling over and it was weird and I didn't get it and it was funny, but it wasn't for me and I don't want to go to a church that does anything like that. And there are people who feel like, well, hold on a second. I do want the Spirit to work in my life in these these dramatic, supernatural ways. And it's uncomfortable to be in an environment where everybody kind of downplays that. So no matter where people are on the spectrum, they find some discomfort in this topic. And so what ultimately it means is that we avoid it. 
In fact, at uh, the first service, somebody came up to me afterwards and says, that's totally, I never knew what to think because nobody ever talked about it. They made fun of it sometimes, but they never really addressed what should we think about this. So we're not going to sidestep this. This is potentially controversial. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. You can, if, if it's controversial, you can tell me later. You can leave, whatever you need to do. But I, I think, don't you want to be informed about this topic about spiritual gifts, about supernatural gifts? Don't you want to be informed, right? Well, I got good news because 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul the Apostle says, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Woo, hey, Paul, you read our minds. That's awesome. You're saying there is scripture that addresses this topic that we can un, un, uh, unpack and unravel and try to figure out what disciples today should think about? Yes, there is. That's good news. And so we're going to walk through three chapters of Bible text. We're not going to do it verse by verse, but you'll, I think you'll get the thread of the idea because this section of scripture is the most comprehensive essay on supernatural spiritual gifts. Now let me pause. Everybody knows what we mean when we say those supernatural spiritual gifts. We tend to think of speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing, but the scriptures list a wide variety of things that include things like generosity. And believe it or not, the book of Romans even includes one called administration. Did you know the Spirit can fill someone so they can be super good at like organizing? That's one of the spiritual gifts according to the book of Romans. But we tend to think about the more dramatic ones. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. The dramatic gifts of the Spirit. The supernatural miraculous gifts of the Spirit. And Paul doesn't want us to be uninformed. That's great, Paul. Awesome. Now let me tell you a little bit about this, these few chapters. First thing about these few chapters is what Paul is writing is a corrective to something that has gone wrong. Something is not unfolding correctly in this church, and so he's correcting it. Uh, but we don't get to hear exactly what he's correcting. We just get to hear the correction. So we have to infer a few things. Secondly, he's also responding to some questions, and we're only hearing Paul's side of the conversation. So we don't know specifically what questions were asked. We only get the answers. So we have to do just a little bit of detective work to put, piece everything together. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. I don't want you to be uninformed. Check out verse 2. Verse 2 says this. You know that when you were pagans, what well, seems harsh, but... He's talking to a, an audience that was maybe at least half, if not primarily Gentile, who grew up worshiping idols in a temple. They would go to the temple on certain special days and they would offer sacrifices or burn incense or say prayers to these, these blocks of wood or these, these, these sculptures of stone. He goes, remember, when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Wait a second, Paul, I thought you were going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. What in the world is all this stuff about, like, idol worship? Why are you talking about that? 
And I think what Paul is getting at is he says, remember, back in the day when you used to think that block of wood was a god and you prayed to it and you gave money to it? Remember that? How funny was that? Somehow you were convinced that that was right and that was somehow going to give you access to God. Somehow you were convinced. You were confident and you were wrong. And I think Paul's saying, just remember that feeling because sometimes we can be confident and wrong about what the Spirit can and should do in our lives. So I just want to, I think Paul's prefacing this whole conversation with something that everybody in this room needs to understand. Everybody watching online needs to understand. You may have very confident opinions about this, but your confidence does not mean that you are correct. It's very important. Parents, you should remember that for your teenagers. Confidence does not mean that you are correct. So a little humility goes a long way. Because remember, you used to worship idols, so just, just remember, keep that in the back of your mind. Verse 3, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. So, uh, and this is a strange statement to make, because, but what he's saying is nobody's going to get up on stage at church. Nobody's going to, you know, be having some sort of theological conversation with you and say, I'm filled with the Spirit and Jesus is cursed. I mean, of course, the Spirit, remember we talked about this when we talked about the Spirit in, in John chapter 16. The Spirit likes to put a spotlight on Jesus. The Spirit is never going to detract from Jesus. So somebody who's filled with the Spirit is going to highlight Jesus. That's what it's always been about. And then he goes on to say, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Well, this trips people up a little bit because couldn't an atheist mouth the sounds Jesus is Lord? Sure, yeah, of course. He's not saying that a person can't say that, but he's saying, listen, when you argue about these spirit-filled things, you're actually, you're both on the same team. Everybody, when you say this gift is better or that gift is better, you're actually both arguing about the spirit working in both of you just in different ways. So everybody's on the same team. Now, so we've got a little bit of setup here. Now look at verse uh, 4. He says, there are different kinds of gifts. And I highlighted gifts because that's the Greek word. It's the word where we get uh, charismatic. It's that charisma. There are different kind of gifts. So he's talking about these supernatural gifts, but the same spirit. So he, he, he bounces back and forth in the next few verses. He says, there's different kinds of ways of serving, but the same Lord. Different, same different manifestations of the Spirit, but it's all the Spirit, okay? That's important to the point he's about to make. And by the way, this is one of the, the reason this is such an important point is because, and you've run into this, when people disagree, they tend to demonize their opponent or their person with whom they disagree. So this, I don't know if you've ever noticed, this can happen a little bit politically. Like if a person who tends to think more um, on the right wing of the political spectrum, if they hear someone expressing something that is more on the left wing of the political spectrum, they might accuse them of being a communist. It's not just like, you disagree with me, well, you must be a communist. And if somebody who is on the left wing of the political spectrum hears somebody say something that's a little bit more right wing on the political spectrum, well, you must be a Nazi, right? It's like, it's never, it's never just like, oh, we have a little bit of a different way of viewing these things. You're a communist, you're a Nazi. Sadly, that sort of thing can happen in the church as well, where if there's a disagreement about the spirit or disagreement about anything theologically, people can assume the worst about the other people and then say, well, we're going to take our toys and go start another church down the road. And Paul's saying, that's silly. You're all filled with the same spirit. And the fact that the spirit isn't coming out the same way doesn't mean it's not the same spirit. And it's important to this next section, verse 8. 
Uh, excuse me, verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This is really important. If you have your Bible, if you're taking notes, this is the part you want to highlight because this is the point of the gifts of the Spirit, the common good. The Spirit isn't coming to your life to make you personally successful, to help you sleep better at night, to help you win at the stock market. The Spirit is manifesting gifts in your life for the good of others. So if your spiritual gifts are all about you, that may not be the Spirit. The Spirit manifests gifts for you to serve, encourage, and love other people. Verse 8, to one there is given a spirit, a message of wisdom. Someone who can just like kind of see through all the confusion and just see with clarity, supernatural clarity about what someone needs in their life. To another, a message of knowledge. Someone who just gets it, like the deep things of God. By means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. Some people are given the gift of faith. To another, gifts of healing. Well, that's what that guy was trying to do for us at the water park with, with, uh, with Michael. By that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. Just generally, I guess, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. And that's that ability, ability to like see God's will and purpose and intent as it comes. To another, distinguishing between spirits. Because there's people who claim to be filled with the Spirit of God that are not. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to another, an interpretation of those tongues. That's an interesting one too. And we're going to talk a little bit more about tongues in the coming weeks. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. It's important to note this is not an exhaustive list of every spiritual gift. Some people try to do that and they turn this into a questionnaire and, you know, what's your spiritual aptitude? There's, there's other spiritual gifts. Paul is just using these as an illustration for what the Spirit could be doing in the lives of believers uh, in church. But we start to see the edges of the problem, the edges of the conflict. Um, it seems that the cool kids in church really latched on to at least a few spiritual gifts, maybe the more sensational ones. And so the cool kids were saying, well, the gift of healing, the gift of speaking in tongues, the gift of prophecy, those are the cool gifts. And if you really, truly have the Spirit, you'll exhibit those gifts. And then there were other people who were like, I would love to do that, but God's never done that for me. And am I, do I not get to sit at the cool kids' table at the fellowship meal? And it was beginning to cause division. And Paul's saying, listen, it's all the same Spirit. It's all the same Spirit manifesting itself in different ways. So don't think you're cooler than anybody else because the Spirit used you in this particular way. Don't think that you're better um, and that's, that's the whole, I mean, it's, it's high school. It's the, the first Corinthians, the whole book is, is like, oh yeah, I remember this at high school. It's like the cool kids wearing, you know, stonewashed jeans and Jordache and Adidas and pegging their pants. Remember that? Anybody peg their pants? Like, I mean, we weren't riding bikes anywhere. There was no danger of our pant leg getting caught in a bike chain, but we thought it was cool. You know, that's what you do. But the cool kids do that, and if you, didn't, if you weren't one of the cool kids who could afford those or got lucky enough like me to find them at a thrift store, then you didn't get to be, feel like you were one of the cool kids. I mean, that's exactly, they were just taking that high school kind of mentality and they were putting it into the church with regard to spiritual gifts, and Paul says that's ridiculous. He's like, those, those things are all the same spirit manifesting in different ways. He goes on, and in the next section, well, let me, let me actually uh, read the very end of chapter 12. So I said we're, we're following a thread, not reading every verse. Uh, very end of chapter 12, he, he asks these rhetorical questions. Do all work miracles? No, no, we don't all work miracles. Yes, that's Paul saying, see, we're all 
part of the team. We, we have different parts. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. It's all rhetorical. And then he says in verse 31, something interesting. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you the more excellent or most excellent way. Now this next chapter, it's, it's most of a chapter, but this next chapter is maybe the most familiar scripture in the Bible, pretty close to it. And the reason I, I say that is because even people who are like hardcore atheists, they'll have this verse at their wedding because it's just a good verse. It's like Paul, I, it's definitely Paul's most famous writing. The most famous words he composed have to be this because whether or not a, wait, a lot of Christians know a lot of what Paul wrote but even non-Christians are like oh yeah I know that in fact this passage of scripture is everywhere people turn it into wall art and throw pillows and tattoos and phone cases it's everywhere you can bring up that slide um go, go yeah go to the next one yeah it's everywhere everywhere I'm not saying you should go turn this into wall art, but this is not unfamiliar. Well, you, sure, you could. This is not unfamiliar to people. This is very familiar scripture to people. And he's, he's making a point. He's saying, you are, based on those spiritual gifts, you're like, I'm cooler than you because I speak in tongues, you dummy. And then these people are over here. And Paul's saying, wait, you can't mistreat people based on those things. The Spirit is not calling you to divide yourself from other humans in the church based on those gifts. That's, you're being crazy. He says, in fact, love is this thing that's going to last forever. It never fails. Verse, you can go back. I Sorry, I threw you out of order. Verse thir- chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or in angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. He's like, you act like you're full of the Spirit, but you're just giving everybody a headache. Now, it's funny to me because this is a passage used in weddings around the world, but the context of these words are supernatural spiritual gifts. That's the context that he's writing this in. And he's saying, if your manifestation of the Spirit is causing you to mistreat people, you have missed the point because love is the point. Now, we're not going to read through all that because I think you know it. You've seen tattoos, phone cases, throw pillows. It's everywhere. But Paul is about to go into the second half of this same chapter because this part never gets used at weddings. Nobody tattoos this next part on their arm. Nobody turns this into wall art. Maybe we should. But in verse 8, he says, love never fails. Okay, that's where people stop. But where there are prophecies, supernatural gifts, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, not just your general knowledge you could pass an SAT, where there is like that supernatural knowledge to know the things of God, it will pass away. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but then he says in verse 10, when completeness comes. And if you're following along in your own Bible, and I hope you are, many of the versions that you are reading will say, when the perfect comes. When the perfect comes, what is in part will disappear. He says in verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the ways of child. I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. So there's a time coming when things are going to change. Now I know in part, then then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. If you've grown up around church, you have probably heard a sermon, read a book, 
had a class on what the perfect is, what completeness is. Uh, and you've probably taken, some of you have taken that theology and you've like put it in a box and you put it on a shelf. And so when I read that verse, you're like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that completeness is because I heard a class on it in college one time. I, I want to offer the humble suggestion that maybe you don't know what that is. Um, there have been books written about that word, about this passage of Scripture. Uh, there, have, there are scholars who, who spend their lives trying to ascertain what Paul is getting at here. And maybe you figured it out. Maybe. But I would just say we need to approach these ideas very humbly with a sense of openness to the Spirit. Paul's argument, bottom line, is stop acting like you're more important than these other people because you have these manifestations of the Spirit. That's the bottom line. It's all the same Spirit. In fact, at some point, those gifts, at some point, those gifts will go away. When completeness comes, when perfect comes, those gifts will go away. So you're investing all this time and money and energy into thinking you're cool based on those gifts, and they're eventually going to go away. It's going to fade away. And so the entirety of chapter 14, we're not going to read it, but the whole thing is here's how you should operate with those gifts at church. We're not going to read that today. But it's just rules. Like, if you're going to speak in tongues, here's how you do it. Here's the rules. Here's the guideline. But I want to draw your attention to two passages in chapter 14 uh, that I think are important. Number one, verse one and verse 39. Follow the way of love. Okay, got it. And eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Interesting, Paul. Verse 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager... To prophesy, again, prophecy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. All right, that's a lot. We covered a lot of ground, and there's a lot in there. And some of you, your heads may be spinning a little bit. Some of you may be like, I know what I think about this. I've known what I thought since you first started talking, Patrick. So if you'd let me up there, I could just clear this all up for you. The question is essentially this. Which Bible verse do we take seriously wait a second patrick you can't take one bible verse more seriously than another bible verse that's what we're doing right now that's what some of you are doing do we take chapter 14 verse 1 follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts of the spirit especially prophecy is that more important or is the one where we know in part and we prophesy in part but when completeness comes what is in part disappears which one are you living out of which one are we living out of now some of you are like oh i know because i know what completeness is because i had that class you know theology 101 in my bible college i know exactly what completeness is but which verse are you living out of let, let me make this little bit this 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 distinction a little bit more uh stark um, the question is, and it's a tough question, do we as disciples eagerly pursue, are these gifts something that are part of the current Christian experience like we read in the book of Acts? This was a funny thing all the time I was taught growing up, like we want to be a first century church, we want to be a first century church, okay, let's do these things. No, we don't want to be that kind of first century church, like, oh, uh, okay. Do, do we operate, is this the expectation of disciples in our day and age, is that 14.1, or were these gifts for a special time and purpose and now have faded away or disappeared? So, so the, the bottom line is, is like, is acts, speaking in tongues, healing, prophecy, all those things? And some of you are saying, well, I've never seen that happen, so of course it's not normal. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But, or is it more like, well, God did do things that he just wasn't going to repeat, like he 
he parted the Red Sea. I mean, that was the miraculous, but that was for a specific situation. Is that, is that what these gifts are like? Those, that's the dilemma. That's the tension facing us with these questions. And in fact, it actually gets a little tougher. You know what, should we up the stakes in terms of the questions? These are the questions that I have been wrestling with for a long time in my faith. If these gifts are for today, particularly gifts like healing, like this guy at the swimming pool with me and my brother, then why don't people with that gift visit the cancer ward at the children's hospital? Why, why don't they? Why do they rent out a coliseum and have a big night and, you know, big lights and all that? Why, why don't they just travel down to the children's hospital? Because if, if I saw a guy healing kids of cancer at the children's hospital, the question would be settled, right? That's, it's a tough question. If these gifts are not for today, then what about the hundreds of millions of believers who claim to have experienced them? Well, they're not real Christians. Okay. Are they just all gullible and naive? Is that what they're, is that the problem? They, they believe these things because they're simplistic? Is that why? If these gifts are for today, then what about the hundreds of millions of believers who have not experienced them? I mean, that's a big question too, because some of you are like, I actually tried to speak in tongues a couple times and nothing happened and I just felt like an idiot. Some of you are like, I tried to pray, pray for healing and my, that person did not get healed. In fact, they got worse and died. So what's, I mean, clearly they're not for today. So, the, I mean, these are tough questions. If, if these gifts are for today, then why is the controversy always about speaking in tongues and healings and prophecy and nobody's walking around saying, I got the gift of generosity. I got the gift of administration. That's me. Nobody's arguing about those. We're fine with those, by the way. And it's interesting to me that we are fine with some of the supernatural gifts, but not others. I don't know why. But anyway, another question. If these gifts are not for today, then what do we do with the very credible experiences of people we trust and love? What do we do when they say, this happened? Do we say, nah, you're mistaken. You were confused. You were taken in. You're gullible. Or do we say, maybe there's more that I don't understand? And here's a really important question, because even some of you who have said, I know what I think, Spirit doesn't do any of that, you have had experiences that you cannot easily categorize. You don't think about them a lot, because that's not the way your brain works. But there are things that have happened in your life, and you have maybe thought they were sort of coincidental, you have maybe thought that they were just sort of happenstance or circumstance, but they, they are things that seem like God intervened in your life in some sort of special supernatural way, and you just didn't know what to do with that. You're like, well, I don't really believe in these miraculous things the Spirit is doing, but this happened. And what do you do with that? What do you do? Where does that go? If these things are real, if the gifts are for today, then why are there so many people on TV with big hair using them in a kind of a manipulative way asking for our credit card number? Why does that happen? Why are they so easily um, uh, manipulated? If these things are not real, then what do we do with what Paul said about eagerly pursuing and do not forbid and speaking in tongues and, and pursue the greater gifts? So, here's the question. If you, or not the question, here's my, here's, my, here's my resolution for you this morning. I hope you have questions. I, I hope you, maybe if you walked in and you're saying, I know what I think about this, I hope you walk out saying, I'm not sure what I think about this. 
Because <laughs> here's the funny thing. We, we're a pretty theologically diverse church. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, we don't talk about this kind of stuff a lot. Uh, I told the first service this, but did you know I, there are people in this room, did you know this? I don't want to f- scandalize anybody. There are people in this room who, who voted for Trump. Did you know there are people in this room who voted for Biden? And did you know both people cast their vote because of what they believe about what Jesus taught? What? And did you know there's a big group of people who are like, I didn't know who to vote for. And I just didn't vote. One guy came up to me after the first service. He was like, I tried to vote for one person, accidentally voted for the wrong person. Totally confused. Totally no, you know. We're a theologically diverse church. And that's a, see, it's annoying, but it's better than the alternative. It's annoying, you know, when people disagree with you. It's annoying, right? Especially when they live with you. But it's better than the alternative because there's so many churches and church families out there that are kind of in lockstep with this kind of stuff. And it makes it so hard. I'm telling you guys, it makes it so hard. Oh my goodness, masks. We are such a diverse church. There are people who are like, I'm going to wear 15 masks and still stay at home. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. And there are people who are like, if I even see a mask, I'm going to throw a fit. And you're like, ah, this is it. so frustrating. You're so frustrating. But that theological diversity, that diversity in thought is actually a good thing. And we have that here. And we have it with regard to this, these gifts of the Spirit. People who feel like God manifests his power and presence in these ways and people who are like, I don't think so. And I will say probably many in the middle who are like, I'm just not sure. I don't know what to think about this. So there's a lot of unresolved tension around this question. That's great. Uncertainty. That's great. Let's pray. Let's search. We're going to come back to this uh, next week. These are the, this is the to be continued. But let me leave you with this. Four reminders. Number one, number one reminder as we wrap up. We believe, this is everybody should agree, you should not walk out of here disagreeing with anything I'm about to say. If you do, I'll talk to you about it. I was going to say you're wrong, but that seems harsh. But you, you are wrong. The Spirit can and will do amazing things in and through disciples. Can and will. That can happen. Now, are they this big in tongues, healings, prophecy? We'll talk about that next week. But the Spirit can and will do amazing things in and through uh, us as disciples. Secondly, we should be very hesitant Telling the Spirit what he can and cannot do. You do not want to be the boss of the Spirit. You do not want to be the person saying, Spirit, you can't do that. First of all, you're going to miss out on a lot of cool stuff. But secondly, that's not your job. Okay, You should be very hesitant to do that. Thirdly, we should want the Spirit to work more powerfully in our lives. I haven't met a single person. Have you met a single person who's like, the Spirit's doing too much in my life. I just need him to tone it down. Oh, everybody needs more of this. Everybody needs more transformation. We need more being like Jesus, not less. And that's what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. We should want this more. And so that means we need to be more open to the Spirit. So if nothing else, What I want to leave you with this morning is that you walk out of here scratching your head a little bit, unresolved tension a little bit, that maybe you walked in saying, I think I know what I believe about all this, and you walk out saying, I think I need to be a little bit more open and a little bit more uh, studious and a little bit more prayerful to what the Spirit might be doing in our lives. So we're going to pray, and uh, we're going to send you on our way with some unresolved tension. It goes against every instinct I have uh, to do that. But come back next week and we'll talk about it some more. We'll work our way through 
these ideas a little bit more fully. Let's pray. Father,